your Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. While we're uh, we're turning there, I just wanted to maybe uh, discuss with you a little bit of what sanctification is. Sanctification is a word that in English, it comes from the English word sanctifying, which means to consecrate. It means to set apart for sacred use, or it's to render something holy or legitimate by religious sanction. Okay, so if you can get that in your mind here as we go forward with this teaching, that when a person or a thing is sanctified, it's set apart for a special use. Specifically, it's God's use, that God sets us apart, sets, you know, we're going to be talking about people today. He sets apart people for his own, for his own. So we're going to look at sanctifying of a people, sanctifying of the, you know, the, the spiritual sanctification that we get in Christ, and then our sanctified walks in Christ. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and in verse 30, it says, It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. That word holiness there is actually sanctification. And this is sanctification that we don't do. We haven't sanctified ourselves, but God has done through Christ. God sanctifies. So sanctification. So sanctification of a people, a setting apart of a people. Go to uh, Leviticus chapter 20. We're going to be kind of moving around in the Bible today as we usually do. So uh, Leviticus chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, third book. And look in verse 24. It says, I am the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. Okay, so that's this idea of sanctification. God said to Israel, I have set you apart from the nations. You must therefore make a distinction between clean and unclean animals and between unclean and clean birds. Do not defile yourselves by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the ground, those which I have set apart as unclean for you. You are to be holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. So, you know, it's interesting. I was never raised Jewish, but I was aware. I I was a little Gentile boy who grew up with a lot of Jewish neighbors, and uh, my Jewish neighbors were all about kosher. They could only eat and drink things that were kosher, and that means blessed by a rabbi. So you had this idea that everything that Israel did was sanctified. The food they ate, the sacrifices they made, and it was all to keep them separate and distinct from the other nations. Why? Because these were God's people. God is one God. The nations worship many gods. So right there, that's a big distinction. Yahweh is one. In the dietary laws, you had 
certain things that they could eat and certain things that they could not eat, as I just mentioned. So, so this is this idea of sanctification. Go to First uh, Peter chapter two. So that was Old Testament, and as I already said, I'm a Gentile or was a Gentile. I wasn't a Jew, so I would have been included with the nations. But after Christ, it is neither Jew nor Gentile, but what? Church of God. Anybody who is saved, anybody who is born again, becomes a member of the Church of God. So, First Peter chapter 2, and look at verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Isn't that beautiful, right? So once upon a time, I was with God, without God and without hope in this world. But now I am part of a people. I am part of a sanctified group of people. We call this group of people the body of Christ. Each one of us is a member. Is it, am I a member because I went through a membership process and got voted in because of my good looks and warm personality? No, no, not at all. I'd, I'd be in sad shape if I had to rely on either. But it is God who sanctified me in Christ. I became a member of this wonderful household of faith. Uh, you don't have to go there. I'll just read it to you. But Titus says uh, it speaks of Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem from us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, eager to do what is good. So it's not just a group of people, but it's a group of people that's motivated to do what is good. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. So sanctification, the separation, the setting apart for a specific and a holy work. Ephesians chapter 1, and look in verse 13, it says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, so we're talking about you. You also were included in Christ. Who's the you here? Is it each one of us individually? Yes, but the, the, the topic here is a you plural. This is talking about you people, you uh, Ephesians, you believers of Ephesus, right? So you were included in Christ when you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation. So we're dealing with a group. That's the idea here. Um, so let me read that over again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So you, Ephesians, were set apart, and within you, you were given a mark, an indicator of that setting apart, which was what? The Holy Spirit. Not just the Holy Spirit, but the promised Holy Spirit. And it goes on, it says, which, it says who here in, in the King, or in the uh, NIV, but it should be which, which is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are what? God's possession. God's possession. We have changed, changed ownership. We were of the ownership of this world. We were owned by Satan. And then we were saved. And when we Got saved, we changed ownership. No longer are we 
owned by this world, but we are owned by God. It goes on to the praise of his glory. So God has set us apart. He has taken possession of us as a group of people. And as this group of people, we are set apart for him. We belong to him. So just as it was in Israel, where Israel was set apart from all the other nations as a group that was independent and that was distinguished for him, so is the body of Christ. Now, for us individually, we are set apart for God in Christ as well, each one of us. Now, when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about two aspects, and it's important that we recognize these two aspects. It's what God did in Christ when you were saved, and the second part is what you do in your Christ walk, in your walk for Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? So it's what God did in Christ in his sanctification through salvation, and then it's what you do as you walk this thing out, as you walk a sanctified walk. In First Peter chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, it says in verse 23, and you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Okay, so the very seed that is within you, that spiritual seed of Christ within you is sanctified. I mean, think about it. The root word for sanctification and holiness are the same word, right? It's the Greek word hognos. Okay, they both connote this idea of setting apart. So when you got saved, you received Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit sets you apart. It sets you apart for God. You are no longer the same. You are of a different spirit. God placed his spirit within you. It wasn't a corruptible spirit. It was an incorruptible, an imperishable spirit, which means that that spirit's around for good forever. All right. It's perfect. It's holy. It's incorruptible. I love that. I mean, we live in a world that is corruptible. Everything decays. Everything falls apart. But the Holy Spirit that we have within is not that way. It is incorruptible. Too many Christians mistake sanctification to mean only their sanctified walks, and they forget about this sanctified Holy Spirit that they have within them. Does everybody understand that? That when we get saved, we have this Holy Spirit, this sanctified spirit within. And because we have this sanctified spirit within, we are God's. Romans says that nothing shall separate us from God's love from that point on. His very nature is within us. God's nature is within us. So I'm a carnal man, right? I do what every other man does. But now God comes along and he places his very nature within me in the Holy Spirit. Now I have uh, access to all his power. I have access to all his wisdom. I have access to all his joy. I have access to his goodness. I have access to his righteousness. These are things that I now have access to through this sanctified spirit that I have. For the religious people who fail to recognize that spiritual reality, they think that their sanctification is reliant on their perfect walks. Has anybody tried to walk perfectly for God? How long does that last? Not very long. Remember what Paul said, that which I would do, I do not, but that which I would not do, that's what I do. So as long as we have this life, we're going to have failure and fault and sin. 
Those are all part of this thing. For anybody who thinks that their sanctification is completely dependent on their perfect walk, they live miserable and self-righteous lives. Let's look at this sanctified spirit. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. If you look at the life of Peter, Peter was anything but perfect. He was a man. He had a lot of long suits and a lot of short suits. So here's a man who's going to be telling us a little bit about sanctification. You can guarantee, I mean, it's guaranteed that if you looked at the life of Peter, it's certainly not by his perfect walk. Look in verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, or obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So in this one verse, we have both the sanctifying work of the Spirit and the call to be sanctified, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. This is talking about the lawless powers that are at work within our culture and every other culture in the world. It says, Second Thessalonians 2, verse 7, it says, The secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. Everybody know who this is? This is the Antichrist, okay, the lawless one. And when that lawless one is no longer restrained, he will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Thank God. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Now listen to this. They perish. Why? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Isn't that something? So it's just talking about the general people of this world, right? The truth is there. If you go back to Proverbs, it, it personifies truth as a, as a sister who stands at the rooftop and yells out to everybody, come to me, come to me, right? But People refuse to love the truth. They refuse to come to wisdom, right? They chose. Everybody gets a choice here. So we have this coming lawless one. We have a world filled with people who are deceived by every sort of evil. And those who are being deceived are being deceived because they refuse to love the truth. Verse 11, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion. We've talked about this in fellowship before. Delusion means that they are uh, deluded. They are deceived. They are blinded. Send them a powerful delusion that they may believe a lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Isn't that something? So there's always a choice here. And you can choose to follow your culture, right? Or you can choose to follow the Spirit of God. It talks about how God gave them over to a powerful delusion. God didn't predetermine anybody to be deluded. We make our choices and God gives us up or God takes us in. It's one of the two. In Romans 1, it talks about how God gave them over. In the Old Testament, we read about Pharaoh and Moses and how God quote-unquote, hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, he didn't 
harden Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his own heart by his choices. But God will give somebody over in judgment to whatever they choose. You see, and I've read this in fellowship before, resistance to God will always end in fearful judgment. It will always end that way. Each conviction that is suppressed, each admonition that is stifled, each loving offer that is rejected tends towards increasing spiritual insensibility and that in which it ends. This uh, fellow Alfred Edersheim says, It is wisdom and safety to watch for the blessed influences of God's Spirit and to throw open our hearts to the sunlight of His grace. Isn't that something? We should always be looking for God's influence in our lives. We should never get into the habit of turning a deaf ear to God. That's the epitome, the definition of foolishness. It goes on, but we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning, God chose you. God chose you. From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. How about that? The sanctifying work of the Spirit, belief in the truth. Verse 14, it says, He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teaching teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Isn't that beautiful? So that's how we are. We have this sanctifying work of the Spirit within our lives, and then we are called to be obedient. Go to Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1, and look in verse 1. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of our and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. These things are through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you might participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So God has infused us with his very nature. It's the very nature of the Holy Spirit that we have within. It's also through the very word that we subject ourselves to, that we learn the truth. Go to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians 1, Philippians 1. Look in verse 2. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this. Now listen to this. Being confident of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I love that verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is a promise of God, that God started a work in you when you were born again. You have that Holy Spirit within you. 
And then through the sanctifying work of that spirit, God continues to work in you. You are more holy today than you were yesterday, and you will be more holy tomorrow than you were today. That's the idea. It's this sanctifying thing. It's beyond my ability to think, right, that this is a sanctifying work of the spirit. Things that didn't used to bother me now bother me. Things that I used to put up with in my own life, sins in my own life, now every time I do them, my conscience starts screaming. That is that sensitivity that you start building within your life due to this work that's going on in your life. So isn't that cool? That's the sanctification of the Spirit. Okay, we're going to look at the sanctified walk. Go to 1 John chapter 1. And look in verse 5. So 1 John chapter 1 verse 5. And this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. Doesn't that make sense, right? I mean, God is light. There's no darkness in him. So if I come along, I mean, I'm a guy. I can say anything I want to say, and most people would believe it, right? But it you know, there's what people believe and then what God actually sees. So you can fool people a lot of times, but you can't fool God and you generally can't fool Satan. God knows if you are walking in the light as he is light. Why? Because you have fellowship with him. I know when somebody's, you know, in fellowship with me and when somebody isn't in fellowship with me. This is a sanctified walk. It's a walk of light. It's a walk of fellowship with God and Jesus Christ. Verse 8. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. I I like that as a baseline. We talked about that in fellowship before. We all have a baseline and that's our carnal nature. You will always sin until you've been redeemed. The redemption of the purchased possession. Either you die and you are resurrected or you are raised. You will always sin. Just that's it. Now, now that we know that in verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, verse 10, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in us. My dear children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. That's the intention here. God doesn't want us sinning. He recognizes that we will sin, but that doesn't mean that he condones it. (laughs) It just is a recognition that, you know, that's our struggle. But if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Isn't that comforting to you? It, It is for me. The, the word there who's, you know, where it, where it says speaks to the Father in our defense, that, that is the Greek word, uh, paraclete. And what it means is that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He's our defense attorney. He's the one who stands up and speaks for us. Verse two, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him. If we do what? Obey his commands. This is the sanctifying walk or the walk of sanctification. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. 
If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. How about that? That's a tall order, isn't it? To walk as Jesus walked. Does that mean that I'm going around healing everybody and raising people from the dead? Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, but it is talking posture of my heart towards God, right? Go to First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians 5. And look in verse 19, it says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. You know, uh, the uh, New International Version, which is the version we're reading right now, isn't one of my favorite versions. Um, but <laughs> periodically, you come across a verse that you really like, and I like this verse. It says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. And we all have the ability to quench that Spirit. You know, you have, a, you have the Holy Spirit within, it's burning, right? What is it burning? by the way. It's burning the chaff in your life. It's burning burning out all those things that are corruptible and that are deficient, right? It's also that, that spirit that's, you know, giving you the fire of zeal and, and righteousness. So it says, don't put out this spirit, the spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to what is good. Avoid every kind of evil. I thought that was an interesting phrase there. It says, do not treat prophecies with contempt. What does it mean to treat a prophecy with contempt? Well, um, you know, we know that we're supposed to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. There's a lot of people, and we've talked about it in this fellowship, who go around saying, the Lord told me to tell you, right? And we can't afford to be foolish and believe everything that everybody says, right? On the same token, we should be expecting a word from the Lord regularly. That, that if you have, remember how Jesus used to say it? Eyes that see and ears that hear. That you are attuned to the Spirit. That you are waiting with expectation for a word from God. Okay? So that's what it's saying here. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Do not be dismissive. Don't get in the habit pattern of dismissing. You know, somebody says, look, you know, I, I got something to share with you. Don't be blowing people off. You know, listen and then do what it says. Test everything. Hold on to what is good. Okay? That should be our standard. Remember when it talked about the Bereans, how they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because what? They received the word with readiness of mind. And then what did they do? They searched the scriptures daily to make sure these things were so, right? Two aspects of it. We should have a positive, expectant perspective towards God and his wisdom, and then we need to check up on it, right? Trust but verify. It says avoid every kind of evil. You know, I was thinking about this when I was going through my teaching, and in uh, Romans 13, it says that we are to make no provisions for the flesh. What does that mean? That means that, well, you know, I can resist all these other sins, but this sin is one of my favorites. So I'm going to make a provision out of it. That's going to be one that, yeah, it's just who I am. It's just, it's just how I am. My little provision for the flesh. And what does the word say? Look, get rid of it. If it's sin, it's sin. If the Holy Spirit shows you that you have sin in your life in a particular area, you have no options. Your life is no longer your own. You should get on it. And that's important. 
Verse 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. I love that. That God will sanctify you through and through. He's just not going to take care of the upper surfaces. He's going to take care of you all the way through. May your whole spirit and soul and body be blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Remember, God is at work within you. Having begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. So you can run around and try to avoid this Holy Spirit and what it's trying to show you, or you can just get face-to-face with it. Your choice. But you're not going to get rid of the Spirit. It's going to be always there. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. So our lives are practical lives. We can't walk around with a head full of theology all day long. There's just practical living. So this is talking about practical living. 2 Timothy 2, look in verse 16. It says, avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. That's pretty practical, isn't it? You are what you eat. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Everybody know what gangrene is? It's a it's a rottenness. You know, people who have, um, you know, um, injuries in wars, they call it putrefying flesh, necropathy of flesh, where your flesh just dies. And the interesting thing about it is it's not localized necessarily. Once you have flesh start dying, it spreads. That's terrible, isn't it? Well, this is a a metaphor used for what happens in the body of Christ in a church where people are chattering away with ungodly teachings, ungodly ideas. And where do they get it from? Well, they get it from outside the church and they bring it inside the church. We need to be careful with what we subject ourselves to on the internet, on the TV set, um, on our phones, you know? This is uh this can be a, a wonderful thing. It can be a, a real problem too. In our doctrines that we get from other people who are quote unquote called Christian, there's a lot of uh Christian quote unquote doctrine out there that is not scriptural. It goes on to say among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. My wife knows an individual online who is of the opinion that the resurrection has already taken place. My wife has tried to confront this person and say, look, you know, that your your point of view is wrong here. (laughs) And this, this person, my wife keeps telling me, but she's just a sweet lady. Okay, she's a sweet lady. Who's wrong? And and I I really I want to make this point here. We're not suspicious people by nature, and nor would I ever encourage you to be suspicious. But if you hear something that is spiritually off, speak up. And if you don't think you're qualified to speak up, get somebody who is. It's important that the doctrine remain the doctrine, right? We're we don't have spiritual Gestapo here, so don't worry about that. I I just want to make sure that, you know, we are aware of what people are saying and thinking in this sense. Have the courage to speak up. And if you can't speak up, contact somebody like me or somebody in leadership who can help that person out. And that's how we're going to treat this thing. We're not going after them. We're helping them out that their thinking is off here. Who knows? They may have something that may help us out. I don't know. 
you know, we can't necessarily assume that we're right and they're wrong, right, all the time. But it is true that if I spend a good amount of time in God's word, then I'm going to be right more than I'm going to be wrong. All right. So there's that. Verse 19, nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. What's the inscription? Listen to this. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Wow. That's quite an inscription, isn't it? If you habitually turn away from wickedness, you are the Lord's in every way imaginable. Not only are you his by virtue of being saved, right? But you're his because you are walking in the light as he is light. Verse 20, in a large house, there are many articles, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes and some are for innoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, and that's really not a good translation, is cleanse himself from these Doctrines that eat as gangrene, remember we're reading in a context here, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Flee, flee, flee. And I've made this point before in this fellowship. There are times where the Word of God tells us to stand fast, stand fast with your shield and with your helmet and with your feet uh, prepared, you know, the preparation of the gospel. But there are other times in the in the Word of God where it says, run, <laughs> run. So let's, let's read uh, what it says. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. And I am happy to say that you are those people to me and my wife and my family. You are the people who call upon the Lord out of a, out of a pure heart. And I love that about you. You are the one who, who, ones who are pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And so we get to do that together. Uh, I put a note here. We hold on to some of our friends far too long. We do. When we have friends that drag us down spiritually, it's time to get new friends. Well, actually, no, I should say it's time to, uh, you know, help that friend get their lives right. But if they refuse, it's time to get new friends. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. You ever get into just a senseless argument with somebody over stupid stuff? And the and the word of God says, don't do that. You know, what is it that uh, I heard one time, you know, about, you know, people who are, Stupid will drag you down with their stupidity and beat you with it. We don't want to be part of that. We we want to walk separately from that. Verse 24, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be what? Kind. He must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Those who oppose him, those people who are in disagreement, he must gently instruct in the hopes that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Isn't that something? So this harkens back to what we read earlier about Hymenaeus and Philetus, right? These are two people who were giving Paul a real hard time, constantly obstructing him, constantly saying things that contradicted him. Right. 
Did he engage in nonsensical arguments? No. But he looked to God, he prayed to God, he said, God, give them repentance to the acknowledging of their error, right? I, I love that, that God is able to remove the scales from their eyes. Go to Galatians chapter 2, look in verse 17. It says, if while we were justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. What is this talking about? It, it just, it's talking here about, you know, the, um, in Galatia, there was a group of people, you know, they had Jewish background, they learned grace, but then some other folks came along who put them back under the legality of the Old Testament law. And so Paul's saying here, look, you know, if you start doing these things that you used to do, but you've been set free from, if you start doing them again, is that Christ's fault? No, it's not Christ's fault. And then what does it say in verse 18? If I rebuild what I destroyed, meaning I got rid of all this nonsense out of my life, but if I start putting it back in, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. And that is always part of this walk that we have to deal with, is that God will set us free from behavior, from things that we do. We take a new path. But it's always the occasion that we can get seduced back into the old path. I build again those things that I destroyed. And we got to keep that in mind here, that Satan is always trying to entrap us, always trying to ensnare us back into our old way of thinking. Remember in Peter where it talks about, uh, but it has happened according, or I'm sorry, it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow is washed in her wa- washed, was washed to her wallowing in the mire. The point is, is that we have to stay engaged. We have to stay engaged with God through his word, through prayer, through fellowshipping with people who are like-minded um, in the truth of God's word. Those are all required to walk the sanctified walk. Verse 19, it says, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's what we have to remember. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. How about that? So I love it. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, we're wrapping it up here. Uh, a few more sections, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verse 9. This is pretty... Uh, um, confronting section here. It says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay. Pretty clear, right? We are surrounded on every side in our culture by sexual sin. It's everywhere. There is many a Christian who wrestles with pornography, adultery, and even homosexuality. And we just have to be honest about that. It's a seduction. It's a snare. And people fall into it. And this is why so many churches are collapsing all over the place on all the biblical principles when it comes to either premarital sex or LGBTQ topics, right? People start inviting homosexuality into their churches and call it love. It's not love. 
we must keep ourselves pure from the world on these topics. That's the truth. You don't have to like me, but that's the truth. And as long as I'm a minister of Jesus Christ, that's what you're going to be hearing from me, all right? Verse 11, and that is what some of you were, but you were what? Washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Is that clear? Who did the washing, sanctifying, and justifying? God did through Christ. Now listen to the logic here. Everything is permissible to me. I'm under no laws, right? Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You know, Jesus Christ said um, that in, uh, in John, I can't remember, maybe John 4, but anyway, he says that anyone who is a servant of sin or anybody who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So that's the discussion here. It's not thou shalt, thou shalt not, right? That's not how we live and think any longer. That was Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's, look, is this thing going to bring me under, as a slave, bring me under sin, right? Verse 13, food for the stomach and stomach for the food. What does that mean? Well, that was a phrase they used to use in the Old Testament, or use in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the early church. The pagans would say, look, your stomach is made for food, so eat as much food as you can possibly eat, because that's what the stomach is for, And so you had a bunch of fat Greeks hanging out. And they would use the same idea for other parts of their anatomy. Well, that's what it's there for. So go ahead and have a good time. And Paul's trying to say, look, it's there for a purpose. It is to be enjoyed, but don't become a slave to it. It says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? What does that mean? Remember what it says? That a man shall take his wife, two shall become one flesh, right? And he's say, basically saying that, you know, in the sexual union, two become one. And then here he's talking about, look, you remember the body of Christ, and when you start establishing, you know, deep, meaningful relationships with people who aren't part of the body of Christ, what are you doing? You're joining outside the body of Christ, the two shall become one flesh, verse 19 or 17. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from it. Remember what I said earlier? There are times to stand and times to run. This is one of the running ones. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's a tall order. That's a tall order. And I'll guarantee you, everybody in this fellowship knows what it means to be tempted sexually. All right. 
But what are you here for? What is your purpose? What is your calling? That's what we have to think about. First Peter chapter one, first Peter one, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ is revealed as obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. What does that mean? Well, that means that while I live in this world, I live in this country, I live in my community, I love my country, I love my community, I am a visitor. The word here, stranger, should be or can be translated visitor. You are just passing through. So this time that I'm spending here on this earth, I'm spending in reverent fear or or respect to God. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down to you from your forefathers, but through the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. How precious is that blood to you? How precious is the life of Jesus Christ? The more precious it is, the more reluctant you will be to go throwing your life around in a irresponsible way spiritually. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves in obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. You know, if you think about it, all sin comes from selfishness, doesn't it? doesn't it? Right? All sin comes from selfishness. But if you are loving the brethren, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's not going to be much room for selfishness, is there? Right? Verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. Isn't that something? So when we look out at the world, we look around at the world, it has a sense of permanency to it, doesn't it? Right? The great institutions of man. But you know that they're like anything else by man. Today they are and tomorrow they'll be gone. That's just how it is. So what are you going to base your life on? Are you going to base your life on transient institutions or are you going to base your life on something that lives and abides forever? And in, and it finishes up here. And this is the word that we have preached to you. So that's what I wanted to share today. Let me go ahead and finish that with uh, a word of prayer. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we thank, thank you for understanding that we are, we are uh, just we're, we're susceptible to sin, Father. And Father, we sin time and time again, Father. But I thank you that you honor our heart and desire to come back to you and to do it right the next time. 
And that, Father, that as a parent, you pick us up, you brush us off, and you help us to try again. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for your forgiving nature. And, Father, you forgive us over and over and over again. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you continue to bless us with greater and greater insight and understanding into the areas where Satan continues to cause us to trip and fall. Thank you, Father, for integrity and love and compassion and humbleness among the brethren. That, Father, that we can, um, if we have an area that is that we're struggling with, that we can go to a brother and lay it out for him and not be judged. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for helping us to be that sanctified people that you've called us to be. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. And I thank you, Father, for your wonderful Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You taught me blessings out of tragedy. You turned my old song into a symphony. And with your spirit living inside of me, I'm a new creation. I'm a new You brought me blessings out